Let's play. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. Were you waiting for the beat to drop? (laughs) Spoiler alert, it's not going to, because I am reporting live from royalty-free music hell. (laughs) This song makes me laugh so hard. I paid $32 for it. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Did I already introduce myself? My name is Kate Kennedy, the host of this podcast, owner-founder of a company called Be There in Five author of Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, and podcaster who is trying to, you know, pump the brakes on using other people's music on my podcast. Now, for the longest time, no one listened to this, um, so that was a thing. And then I always, you know, use under 30 seconds. I always buy the music. I always thought perhaps I could fall into a, a fair use loophole. Because, you know, some could say this podcast is educational. Some might say I am promoting the music because, you know, I, I, do I know that, you know, Aaron's party parentheses come get it is getting a steady stream of traffic daily on, daily on iTunes? No. Do I think by featuring it on my episodes, it might get a bump? Absolutely. I'm here to help. But that said, I don't really want to risk it anymore. And I'd rather just, you know, move forward more fearlessly. So I've been, which is very unfortunate because like that's, I know that's a lot of people's like favorite part of the podcast, but I, I'm going to, I'll find some, another way to hook you. We, we can still talk about these things. We can still appreciate these things. I'm going to work through like the nuances and figure out the best way to incorporate some of these things in the podcast because, you know, whether I buy a license or whatever, it, it's so much of my joy is in communicating a lot of like nostalgic audio and i i am going to figure out a way to celebrate that the the music we love and consume and may have forgotten about i just haven't yet and given that it's this 50th episode spectacular um i just you know thought it was a good time to shift now will i use the same music will i shop some different uh, royalty free music with you guys probably this is almost as entertaining to me as the other music because I, 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 the past few days I've been trying to find a song that really matches our vibe here. And I I am, it's like I'm stuck in season five of Gossip Girl. I'm listening to scores of like short-lived, canceled after one season dating reality shows on like WeTV or Lifetime. It Like a lot of the stuff reminds me of, um, What's it called? Uh, you know, Married at First Sight. They're like, it's all or nothing. And it's like, did they say that over and over? And I, I, it drives me insane. So there's like that kind of music. But then half of it's very like, you know, I want to say upbeat, but uh, upbeat in the way that, you know, colorblind by the counting crows makes you want to crawl in a hole and die. That's, that's a lot of the music. But then I found this kind of other sector that's kind of labeled under fashion. And it's kind of like... 
the, it's so the music's so bad and that's you know obviously the song i chose it reminds me of just, like shopping in an h&m because you know when they're like just like i don't know it's always like girls chant chanting in like a low sireny british accent uh in things that have direct n rhymes it's like um like uh <laughs> what am i doing uh let me think of an example like i went to the market then i went to the store and then i went to the party and my girls were on the floor we met eye to eye and i started to hypnotize then we danced into the night he just killed my appetite it's like <laughs> so bad tugboat's looking at me like i'm absolutely crazy and like he wants to you know buy an on-trend super wrinkled polyester top for 1990 Anyways, you get the point. But I heard this song and it was like, I believe all it says is, let's have a toast because we don't care. Agree with the toast, but literally could not give more Fs here. So it doesn't really apply to me. And then it's just, it's like, come, let's play. Fun is what we crave. Something DJ. It's fun to party with my friends. <laughs> and I think on a previous... <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny. I think I'm so upset that I can't use music and I just don't know what to do. But but I, I don't know. It's five minutes in. I've already lost you. Long story short, as I talked about on a previous podcast, the, the, the numero uno way you know somebody doesn't actually party is if they use party as a verb. Like, it's fun to party with my friends. Let's party. Like, no, <laughs> no one talks like that. That's, I believe that's a direct line from the board game Girl Talk from the 90s. But anyway, I, uh, I, so long story short, I don't think that's my new sound, um, <laughs> but it's so, it, the song is so desperate and so not cool and so not actually fun and making me want to party. I'm kind of digging the irony. We'll, 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 con- we'll work in progress, guys. We'll continue to figure this out. So anyway, I hope everyone had a great week. Um, what happened? I feel like I want to recap and I'm going to kind of try to move through it swiftly god i didn't even mean to say that and honestly too soon um as you know last week i uh cue the colorblind score um last week i did incorrectly predict the announcement of ts7 now i still stand by that a single is coming that i think the album might be dropped in may likely 517 and that she is doing a series of countdowns. Now, I had a few days where I just like Ja Rule felt hustled, scammed, bamboozled, hoodwinked, led astray, as he said about the Fire Festival. I feel like I started somewhat of a Fire Festival Fire Festival of Taylor Swift conspiracies. And, you know, I would argue that I do have enough resources on my island though, because I know patterns, I watch dates, I've seen how this works in the past. We are always normally wrong. I even said on the last podcast, I'm probably wrong. But I thought I was close. And I still am not convinced that I'm far. Because this isn't coming out of nowhere. Now, since we last talked, the Elle magazine UK edition came out, as did the US. I'm going to wait a minute to talk about that, though. To split this into two parts so you can turn it off if you're not into Taylor Swift. Because for longtime listeners that don't really care what she's up to, I feel badly because I've dedicated so much time lately to her. But also the majority of you do care. And I obviously, this is like an area of my subject matter expertise. 
So don't worry, it, it will, it will, you know, die down after a while, but, and I am going to try to diversify topics a little better. Um, but again, you know, any grievances, feedback, suggestions, questions, please email podcast at be there in five.com, F-A-V-E, not the number. But um, a few other things that happened this week. I feel like there's been, there's some good TV on that I haven't really been addressing at all. I, in recent years, I was so out in terms of The Bachelor, like it just lost me. Becca season lost me. Ari season lost me. Weirdly, I have never been less interested in, in a lead and more interested in a season since perhaps Ben Flonick, otherwise known as D.W., Arthur's sister. Um, he had great girls, but he was a total drag. He was the Merlot of Bachelor contestants, if you will. Just kidding. People are way too hard on Merlots, and they only say that because of Sideways. It's actually an outstanding, blendable, mild grape that is great for white and red drinkers alone and goes well with any type of food, unlike Ben Flonick. Anyway, (laughs) and my point is, I am not into Colton. There's not an ounce of my being that's attracted to him. I find him to be a little bit asexual. He is so objectively large and muscular and good looking that I can't figure out why I just am not into him. But like, I don't feel it. And I don't know why. I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I love that he has the, is it the cystic fibrosis charity? Um, I love, you know, that he dated Allie Raisman. I think he's handled a lot of the situations well. Um, it's, it's nothing like I have against him, but I just don't have a lot for him. And I just am, I've always struggled with the virginity narrative and I struggle with how much it's being milked. I struggle with his comfort level and it being milked. And above all else, the biggest reason why I tuned out Colton is because there is a photo, a paparazzi photo of him doing the blogger drape. Something that I have not seen a grown man do. And I did not know my visceral reaction that I would have to it. If you're not familiar with the blogger drape, it is when a person is in very cold weather, but is wearing a, another way sharp outfit that their coat detracts from. And they drape their pea coat or whatever coat around their shoulders and their arms are not through the holes in an effort to easily take on and off the garment, show off their outfit, walk a red co- carpet, do a step and repeat, get street style photos taken, wait in line at a club, whatevs. Who am I getting? Influencers don't wait in line at clubs. I do. Um, but yes, he, he did the blogger drape and it was, it was a true tragedy. But besides that, um, the Women Tell All was last night, which was a true, I mean, it made me, it, the Women Tell All always makes me embarrassed for womankind, but particularly Demi's situation, like a girl shoved a pacifier in her mouth. Demi's talking about bullying, but like she's the biggest bully of them all. I, my issue with um, like hyperbolic, um, like hashtag savage culture is the glorification of rude behavior. And when somebody is being so extreme, there, people are like, yes, queen. Like, they, 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 there's just this weird reaction where people are like, think it's so funny to be absolutely horrible and undercutting and hurt someone else's feelings if it's done in a humorous way, but it doesn't make it any less mean. And I know I can, you know, be mean. I can talk about public figures in a way that perhaps is a bit biting. But I like Demi to do it to her face, to embarrass her, to undermine her like yeah I know the girl wasn't nice to her on the season but I don't know she's just gonna be a crystal on Bachelor in Paradise and we're gonna have to deal with her for a lot longer it's 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 the Corinne of it all I mean I don't mind Corinne anymore but 
the character she played on the show like was was purposefully unlikable demi's being purposefully unlikable and um it's just that faux 23 year old confidence where you think that confidence is saying what every single passing thought that comes through your mind in the name of truth honesty and candor when really you realize maturity enables that filter that helps you discern between is this thought an important contribution to the world or is this thought potentially damaging to another person beyond a point I can even see? People don't realize the stuff they say stays with people. Like th- th- you, you cannot live rent free in people's minds if you are going to value honesty over being considerate. Honesty doesn't matter if somebody's not asking your opinion. Like honesty isn't, I had a thought, so I have to say it. Honesty is somebody asks your opinion and the way you respond. But when you're just being mean to people and they didn't ask you your opinion of them, they didn't ask you what your thought was on this topic and you're just being downright rude, that's not cute. It's not yes, queen. It's not hashtag savage. It's not like, like let's, let's stop it. Like dead, dying, tombstone, dagger. Like I don't want to glorify mean people that think that they're, Behavior is funny. It's just not funny. And I don't like her or find her charming at all, but I know she's good TV, so whatevs. Um, anyways, other than that, the women tell all, I don't know. As per usual, it was the microblade brigade. A bunch of chicks with the most unnatural hair and makeup ever. A lot of them are very beautiful. Most of them naturally beautiful, and I don't really understand. It's kind of like, I feel like when Vanderpump Rules cast members or like any show, Bravo show with younger people, Summer House, whatever, go on Watch It Happens Live. They're so hyper cartoonishly contoured and they have such big hair and they have lips and eyes and cleavage and there's just no balance and they're so overdone. They look so much older when I think on a show like this, when everybody is in a tight satin deep V dress with an earring and a necklace and a contour and an extension and a lash um and a new fresh set of veneers half the time to be honest something there's something about seeing yourself on tv that makes you get new teeth and having seen myself do a couple interviews i can't say i disagree with that um but i just think you'd really stand out if you were like a smidge natural don't you i think like hannah g would have excelled in that format because she is just so so stunning and and she does not wear a lot of makeup seem too done up at least and if she is she does a great job of making it seem natural um rumor word on the street is hannah b is the bachelorette i agree because she got the bachelorette edit on the women tell all she was quoting herself in the episode saying quotable things that are probably going to be like part of her season like becca's horrendous do the damn thing line um the she said like the concept of being chosen so many times i'm like oh my god that's probably going to be the motif she also looked professionally styled and professionally glammed, and I always think whoever has the best glow-up, whoever seems to be professionally styled, is typically the bachelorette because they are already starting to groom the person. I, my biggest fear is they're going to do a Caitlin Bristow, um, what's-her-name, Brit situation where their guys are going to have to pick between Caitlin and Hannah B because they're, like, maybe enemies, but they kind of seemed like they were, you know, they, she just explained them as being oil and water last night, which I also thought was funny. I was like, oh, so there's like no hope. I thought you guys were going to be, you know, all is fine. But maybe it's just set up. They might be pitting them against each other, which roof stoof. But I hope they learned that that didn't work out in Caitlyn's season. We wanted Caitlyn. I think, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about Caitlyn uh, as the Bachelorette either. Honestly, I'm not like 
there's no one girl I'm like obsessed with. I like Taisha a lot. And I don't know why there aren't rumors about her being Bachelorette, but I haven't heard a thing. Um, and Hannah G, like, I bet in casting they hoped Hannah G would, like, be the Bachelorette. She is just beyond. She's so sweet and so beautiful. And it seems like a nice girl. But she's so mild-mannered and quiet. And I, I'm sure she has a personality, but, like, it doesn't come across on TV as strongly as uh, the other girls. And I think she just might be, like, a little bit meek. I, I don't think she can carry a season. The the Caitlins and the Jojos, the the Andes of the world, do such a good job having humor, having gravitas, having an element of um, edge is the wrong word, but you do actually I think need a bit of an edge to carry a season. And I think Becca struggled with this. Not that she doesn't have an edge, but she didn't really have as much of a presence as I needed. And I think um, what's her name? I always want to call her Deanna. I don't know why. Dee Dee? Do de, 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 Deandra? Dee. <laughs> oh my God. That was so bad. Desiree. <laughs> yikes, yikes, yikes. Um, I thought she struggled a little bit too. Emily Maynard was like surprisingly like kind of edgy and uh, tough, which I really enjoyed about her. Um, anyway, guys. Other. I guess I don't have a ton to say about The Bachelor other than I was wildly impressed by the athleticism. It took for him to gracefully clear that fence. I would have smashed my face into the side like an underqualified uh, contestant on American Ninja Warrior on that last wall. Um, I don't think he goes that far. I think this last episode, like all we've ever wanted is for the most dramatic season ever. And finally, we got the most dramatic episode ever. That I was glued to my TV. It was so interesting. Even my husband watched with me. Um, I'm hoping that it still plays out as dramatic. I don't actually know what's going to happen. I haven't read spoilers. I'm going to guess he goes back to find Cassie. I don't really see it playing out any other way. It was so clear she was the winner, which also never happens. Third, you know, episode from the last or fantasy suites. Um, and I really did feel bad for him in the previews. He's like weeping. It's very sad. And you know, as far as Cassie goes, guys. I'm not a fan. She has every right to think it's too soon, to think the timeline doesn't add up. To, she has every right to not be sure. I, that is the most logical thought you could possibly have in all of this. My problem is, A, you know what you're going into. B, he's sitting there telling you, we don't have to get engaged. We can just date. There is no pressure. And she's still like, I don't know. I don't know. This is what's best for you. And like, as I've talked about, as a former proprietor of the Lonely Hearts Club, as a person that only experienced love unrequited until, you know, my almost mid-20s, I, uh, I hate when people say things like, I want it to be you. I wish it was there. I, like, it, it's very, um, it's, it's very selfish to say things about how bad you want it to work or how it's the best thing for the other person. And the other person's like, no, but what I'm saying, the best thing for me is that I'm in love with you. And the other person's like, no, the best thing for you is that I leave. It's confusing and it makes no sense. And really, it's just designed to take the heat off the person who doesn't want to be hurting your feelings because they don't want to have to take responsibility and they don't want to feel bad. You can't ask the person you're dumping to emotionally take care of you. And she wasn't sad because she was going to miss Colton. She was sad because she felt bad she was leaving him, was, was what was pretty clear to me. And I think just the fact that, what is she, 23? 
I don't, I don't fault her, but she was, the way she did it was so vapid and inarticulate and poorly done and not thought through. And her subservient daddy issues were freaking me out. It seemed like she couldn't make a decision for herself. It seemed like if Colton wanted to pull her one way, she'd go. If her dad wanted to pull her another way, she'd go. She was like, so, I don't know. She just doesn't, she just doesn't seem like a woman to me. She doesn't seem like a person that has opinions or a sense of self. She's not a person that needs to be getting married. And she's 100% right about that. But what needed to happen is she needed to be more clear and honest and admit that she came on for Instagram followers, admit that she wanted to be the bachelorette, admit that her sister's a beautiful model and she probably feels like she needs to compete and she wants to have this, you know, internet fame. She's from Southern California. Apparently her and Kaylin were in cahoots to be super famous together. Maybe she'll show up on Paradise. Who really knows? She's beautiful. I'm sure she's a nice girl. She has a nice family. Her intentions were not there. She's there for the wrong reasons. He was warned about her three or four times over and she's proving him right. And that's what's frustrating is that usually it's catty girls just like hating the front runner, but like they actually heard her say things that suggested she wasn't there for the right reasons and they were all right. And he chose to believe her when I think she's just kind of like, I don't know, immature and a little bit shallow and poorly handling the situation and really potentially damaging somebody who's in love with her, which is so sad because usually the lead is doing that to other people and now it's being done to him. And it's very hard to watch because I think half of the issue is the shock of that you never think as the lead you'll be in that position and I just think that um Cassie has a lot of growing up to do and that she shouldn't have been so rude to like is it Kerpa and co when they were like I told him what you said and I told him what I've heard and what I think and she was just like she she showed her colors on that weird train trip when that was when I was I, I, I was like no I don't like this girl no accountability She's not asking the right questions. She's not deflecting. No, she is deflecting. Like, there's a way to talk through an accusation that is not panicky defensiveness that assumes guilt. And she just looked so guilty. And I have never been on board. And I'm officially still not on board. And I don't know if she wins. I don't know if he goes back together, get her. I don't. Bottom line, guys, you don't want to beg someone to be in love with you, you don't want to beg someone to stay. You don't want your relationship to start with a with a dynamic where you are the person who's groveling and just lucky to have the other. To quote one Hannah B, you need to actively choose each other every day and it needs to be a very mutual decision. And if the person is not there yet, they might come around, but don't wait for it. Live your life. Occupy your brain. Don't harp on it. And sometimes that's the best thing you can possibly be doing because it eliminates the desperation that clouds your judgment into thinking that's the only person for you. My two relationship, two cents for the day. But I just know sometimes when people weren't in love with me, the fact that they weren't in love with me almost made me obsess over it more because I was so personally offended. It was an ego issue that convinced me that I was more in love with them than I actually was. But it's because they would say things like, well, like, I still want to be best friends. Or like, you're so awesome. Or like, I'm not good for you. Or like, I have so much baggage. And they'd like, you know, artificially blame the whole thing on themselves when really they just like wanted to feel better about bringing up with me. And that like, that's not fair. You don't get to feel good. You misled me and you should feel bad. And now I'm the one being like, it's okay. You're, I don't mind your baggage. Like, no, I get it. Like, it's, it's, it's a lot to take on. Like, it's hard for men to have feelings. Like, I get it. Like, one time this guy I was like, kind of seeing was told me like, he didn't have time for a girlfriend, didn't want a girlfriend. Like, 
you know, he'd just gone out of a long relationship and the whole song and dance that everyone ever said to me. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, you were just in a long relationship. Going into another one sounds so hard. No, it's not. <laughs> Give me a break. It, it, you only want as much space and time as the other person doesn't interest you enough to take up your space and time. And anyways, after this whole long spiel that I believe was over AIM, um, I worked at as a bev car girl at a country club where this person also worked. And uh, within 24 hours, I did find out he was dating the girl that delivered the snacks at the pool. And they were in a full-on formal boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that being a cart girl is more prestigious than being a snack delivery girl at the pool. But let's just say I consider those more of the supporting characters, the backup vocalists. It, I, I did not think that a snack deliverer was going to be the one that ultimately shined. She came out of nowhere. And uh, it, was, it was from that point on that I decided to start journaling, that my every like thought and feeling and mood and like everything was being dictated by if this person talked to me or was interested or not, and I was just like so wrapped up in this thing, but it was more so due to the lack of reciprocation and not due to my baseline feelings. And through writing it out, I figured that out. I, I moved on. I read a lot of those journals on my Patreon if you want to sign up for it because they're very personal. But I read them for two reasons. One, because um, I think it's interesting to have perspective on what you think will never change and who you think you definitely are. And then later on, you realize, wow, I'm so glad I gave myself more credit than this and led with my potential and not with my existing situation. And two, for those of you with kids, to remember how very real emotions are and relationships are when you're young. Like I felt that way when I was like, 13 or 14 and my first boyfriend like kissed one of my best friends like my my world was like it, it it was it was horrible it was if anything it was more intense than when I was an adult and I think sometimes emotions for young people can get dismissed because you're like you have so much life ahead of you don't even know you're a baby it's just like the people that are older like can't imagine the world being their oyster and being that young and having so many opportunities ahead of them and you'll date so many people and you'll make mistakes and you'll always bounce back. And we understand the cycle and we understand resilience. But in doing that, we can't diminish how it feels in real time. And I just want people with kids to remember to respect and honor intensity and depth of feelings, no matter what the age, to talk through it, to be open, to talk about mental health, to understand the line between the human experience and when you're getting into a territory that's more severe anxiety and depression. And I don't know, I, I guess it's just like, I've always felt like guilty and weird about being emotionally intense and a little bit embarrassed. But in my later years, I've realized that's so much of what has propelled me to do a lot of the things in life that I'm the most proud of. Anyway, moving on enough about The Bachelor. Um, Real Houses of Beverly Hills is a true, I mean, thank God for it. It's so good. I... The the situation's very confusing. I think it's an all a setup contrived by Lisa Vanderpump to seamlessly blend Real Housewives of Beverly Hills into her new spin spinoff Vanderpump Dogs, just like she did in season three of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and seamlessly blended it with Vanderpump Rules, a show that at the time I thought I'm never watching. This is the worst idea I've ever heard, and now is God's greatest gift to the television. Um, Beverly Hills, I'm worried it's going to be another like junk boat-esque thing where like they're arguing about something that kind of happened off camera that we don't really understand. And then like it gets so complicated that 
the viewer tunes out. I definitely tune out when these fights get too complicated or when they're too, I don't know, like last year them fighting about like Teddy wanting Dorit to be functional is so terrible. And I've heard a lot of podcasts talking about housewives and like people are so hard on Teddy and they're, they're like, I hate how she moves her hands and I hate how she's like, I'm honest, honesty, trust, loyalty. I'm accountable. And I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't, is that the worst thing? I, I actually think she's pretty normal and level-headed. Even though her dad's a rock star, she grew up in Hilton Head, went to school with Shep Rose. Lord knows he can quote literature like it's nobody's beeswax. Um, but I think she's, I don't know. Like she's, I, I, I like her. I like her. I, I, the term accountability coach sounds weird, but I've heard her talk about it in more depth and it makes a lot of sense and she's really successful and she seems to have a good marriage and be a really good involved mother. And I think it's kind of an accomplishment when you're in an incredible situation of fame and privilege yet still have a good head on your shoulders. I like that. She's not an over like glamazon type. I think you need a balance on these shows. I like her and Kyle's friendship. I, I just, I really do like her. Could she talk about her, obsession with being honest less yes because again that does make people seem a little guilty and i think she's guilty of conspiring in something for the vanderpump dog spinoff in more of like a jokey manner like oh yeah let's bring up the dog it'll be a great segue like because people probably joke about filming and joke about scenes outside of filming and scenes but it's now being used against her in size 102 font on Ken's fax machine um that was like it's like it's so i mean so embarrassing to read printed out text like it's it's something about it's very sad to me um and now every time i text i think but i want this printed out on a piece of eight and a half by 11 u.s letter paper probably not erica jane's golf look was truly alarming um <laughs> other than that she's been like keeping it pretty normal I loved her uh, 90s-tastic 70-inch ponytail. Um, I do think she's a little intense with, like, stick to your story, hold your ground, live your truth. Like, she's almost egging Teddy on, who's already too intense about all of these things, to, like, stand firmer in a ground that makes zero sense that she's maybe guilty on, so it's about to get really murky. Um, I love Rinna. She is perfect. She can wear... I, I couldn't wear a, a high, I could not wear a white bathing suit when I was a toddler. I couldn't pull that off. She's wearing a white bathing suit. Is she in her 50s? Oh, a white bathing suit with perfectly toned, smooth legs, with a t-shirt over it and like sneaks and looks like one of her supermodel daughters. She's just having a good time. Yeah, she's being a little manipulative. Yeah, she's a little self-satisfied when she's stirring the pot. I'm a Rena fan. I'm here for the Renaissance. You know I love her. Nothing bad to say. I like Denise because she's not thirsty. Uh, she's already famous. She doesn't really need to be there. Apparently, she just really liked the show and is trying it out. And she's kind of like, I wear lace shorts from Charlotte Roos. Like, I don't what what's going on. If she watches the show, she should know better than to show up dressed so, like, homely. Um, she knows these girls have glam squads. And if it's like, or do the Kyle Richards. And if you, you have nothing to wear, just put on a $10,000 caftan and call it an outfit. Like, I think that she's... She knows the deal and she's maybe playing up the like, you know, down to earth card a bit. But also, if was it like breakfast or just like a casual drinks thing, I definitely wouldn't have dressed up either in my normal life. That said, I wouldn't I would never know what to do if I were on Housewives. Um, but I don't know. I was so skeptical. And so far, I like her and she seems funny. And as long as we don't talk about Char Charlie Sheen anymore, I'm a happy camper. I think she's just like 
what the hell is going on? Because it, I don't know, it's kind of choreographed. All the other women are choreographed. They, they, you know, have their pensive looks. They know the camera's going to grab. They put in their last word and they bring up things from previous seasons and they just, they, they know exactly what to do for the scene. And I think Denise is like, are we, are we just like eating dinner? What? Why is why is this why is a Rolex being delivered to the table? That was weird. That was a strike on Kyle for me, and I I, I am a Kyle fan because I love what a sweet mom she is. But that was lame. I did not like that. I don't I I don't like gross displays of of wealth for absolutely no reason. She could have had it delivered to her room and bought privately, right? Especially because she had that huge issue with theft. Like just just as Kim K doesn't wear her wedding ring or engagement ring. In public anymore. Perhaps Kyle shouldn't flaunt her uh, riches. But anyway, I don't really have anything else to say other than that. I read that um, Marissa Hermer from Ladies of London, one of the best shows Bravo ever had that is gone but not forgotten. Um, her and her husband, Matt, if you remember, owned successful restaurants in uh, London. One was a nightclub, I'm forgetting the name of. The other was a restaurant called Bumpkin. The other was a hot dog restaurant where Marissa was in the paper with a hot dog across her face like it was a smiley face. And it was truly one of the most horrendous uh, articles I've ever seen. And um, that did not do well. But they are, op- they are opening a restaurant right by all of Lisa Vanderpump's restaurants in West Hollywood. I believe they said it's on Melrose. No, on Robertson. Um, so as you know, Lisa has Villa Blanca, Sir, Pump. And Tom Tom. And Marissa's went on the record saying, you know, I'm looking forward to giving them a run for their money or something. And I was like, geez, bold statement. Would not get on Lisa Vanderpump's bad side. My theory, she's a little bit thirsty. She was kind of different. They're going to move to LA. She's going to try to get on Real Houses of Beverly Hills. It's open a rival restaurant. It's going to be more drama. Maybe Lisa Vanderpump will pop back in, or maybe she'll just replace her all together, or maybe they'll name the restaurant Pumpkin. And be like, uh, it rhymes with bumpkin. And she's going to be like, yeah, but it has a name pump in it. And they're going to get in this huge fight about pumpkin. Meanwhile, everybody's going to be confused if it's a patch, a place for lattes, or just a general gordy good time that looks like a fall ambiance, which honestly, I'm on board with. I love a fall ambiance. Every basic bee does. LA doesn't get seasons. Eh, brilliant idea. Okay. I think that's all I want to talk about with TV. I have literally nothing to say about New York. Obviously, Dennis's death was sad. I f- have mixed feelings about Bryn texting him. Um, I thought everything was so boring. The funniest part was the darkness of Sonia's borderline starter apartment. I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's nice uh, against New York standards, but it's just so different than her prior life and her townhome. And I mean, it's, it, it, what a difference. I mean, well, Sonia, oh my God, she looks amazing. Never looked better. Ramona, some, 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 something's going on. A little droopy in her talking head. Um, lovely nonetheless. Uh, flirty as ever as always um and uh, sonia sitting in bed with no decorations taping up blinds and having somebody still serve her toast in that 800 square foot uh, apartment was like it was a little sad and not because of the material aspect or her not living in as nice of a place but in like Sad as in, like, she really never left that life, and she still can't. And she's still clinging to, like, wanting help and wanting to be served in bed. And it's just, like, it's, 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 it's getting to the point where 
like Kristen Takeman said, delusional. Like she never snapped out of it. And I'm glad she looks great. And I hope she has a good season. And I'm always rooting for Sonia. I mean, she is the ultimate multipreneur. And uh, you can get a hand towel that says International Fashion Lifestyle Hand Towel, like International Fashion Lifestyle Brand, on com if you want one. Comes with a towel that I, I forget, but I forget which set it is in. But anyway, um, really boring. I don't feel like that much happened. I don't, I don't even remember what the new character did because I started to scroll through my phone and get on Taylor Swift Tumblr and tune out. Um, but I'm hopeful that it'll get better. I'm just, I'm worried it's going to be what Beverly Hills was last year. When, and God forbid it goes to OC. I don't think it could ever go that far because New York's women are fundamentally more interesting. I just don't want it to get to a place where we're, we're, we're stale and we need to change up the cast because I love the cast, you know? Okay, now on to Taylor Swift. So you can turn this off if you don't care. Um, the L-U-K essay, essay number one of two. So, which was, um, you know, an essay about pop music and what it means to us, putting a picture frame around a feeling. I felt this article, it was good, but it wasn't revelatory. It was, I think we all know she is an absolute brilliant wordsmith. I like to call these people architects of the English language. I think that she knows how to put things in a way that other people don't, hence why she is very famous and talented. These articles in LUK and LUS are almost written in an oversimplified manner, intentionally. And what I think is interesting is that somebody actually on Tumblr made a comment like, I like how she used simplifies, simplified language almost so everybody could read and relate to it. And then she liked it. I, I should look for the actual comment before I paraphrase and spread rumors. But I was like, well, like, that's kind of a weird thing to confirm. Like, you're dumbing it down. You're, you don't think we know SAT words. Like, you don't think we're good with, like, figurative speech or analogies. Like, we're cool. Keep doing you. I actually, I wanted these to be a little bit more, you know, mind-blown emoji than they were. The first one for L.U.K. was, so I guess to backtrack, it kind of felt to me like she counted down to these two covers that we already pretty much knew about through that Twitter account, Pop Facts News. Again, no reason to do these two covers after going dark since Reputation, going dark really before, during, and after Reputation press-wise. All The only insight we have into her life is through paparazzi photos, her likes on Tumblr, her intermittent once, twice a month posts on Instagram. And basically that's it, unless you're invited to like rep room or a secret session or something. So the unfortunate part of the reputation era is that in a response to her critics, she decided to make the theme, there will be no further explanation, there will just be reputation and to, for us to really take from the album what we will. The problem is a lot of us fans like love her personality and we love a lot of the quirkiness and we love the context clues about the album. So speculation during the rep era was like so all over the place and rampant and confusing because we really didn't have much direction. And in the prologue, as I mentioned a million times, she says, you, you think you really know a person, but you only know the side of them they've chosen to show you. And basically telling us like she, we really don't know a lot about her, which was kind of exciting and discouraging to me as a fan. Because sometimes I do get frustrated that I feel like she has uh, pivoted her career to mere protection against the critics instead of to feed into the people that have always loved and supported her. 
And in one of these articles, she does talk about the importance of blocking out the noise. And maybe the Kim Snake situation was such a deep cut that she it wasn't healthy for her to even engage in a dialogue with anybody, period. But I'm happy to see that she's at least stepping into the daylight, to use her own words. I feel like there's a night and day situation going on here. Rep was so dark. This is going to be, you know, something with daylight. She said it twice in her essay. She said it in her Instagram captions. You have to let it go and step into the daylight. Obviously, if we're going to deconstruct that sentence, let it go is taken. Um, so what else do we have? I like that idea of the theme. I, I don't think ever in the history of Taylor Swift has she dropped an album or single title in a casual piece of social media. Like it's always been like reputation. I think people thought it was going to be called like roses or something. Like we just really never know. That was such a departure from what we thought it was going to be. Um, but anyway, I'm happy to see she's doing press. It appears there's a pattern here of where she's going to kind of write her own essay. She won't do interviews, but she'll control the narrative, which is awesome because she's so famous. Like no other publications probably going to allow that. They want to interview you and kind of manipulate your answers in the best way they can. Um, So this first essay has like a heavy reference to books. She says, my favorite kinds of books to read are the ones that do more than just tell you a story. They do more than just set the scene or paint the picture. Okay, so the rest of this article, it says the writing I love the most places you in that story, that room, in that rain-soaked kiss. You can smell the air, hear the sounds, and feel your heart race as the characters does. This is really one giant argument for a, a literary device we call imagery. For a uh, an adjective we call sensory. I mean, it, this is, the, again, this is not a revelation. This is just like, yeah, descriptive writing with figurative speech that evokes your senses is a very strong case for, you know, being enveloped in the story. Agree? Not an original thought, I feel like. She then moves on to allude to F. Scott Fitzgerald by saying, It's something F. Scott Fitzgerald did so well to describe a scene so gorgeously, gorgeous, gorgeously interwoven with rich emotional revelations that you yourself have escaped from your own life for a moment. Yes, agree. A lot of story is a well-written story does make you transcend. The referral to F. Scott Fitzgerald a few people thought was interesting. One, because of course his, I believe, debut novel, This Side of Paradise, um, and obviously the palm tree theme the seven palm trees the palm outfit of her sawing off the plane wing in the look what you made me do video there was seven palms on her mark jacobs jacket and a reputation photo shoot that is on the july um calendar for 2019 there's just a lot uh, they were in her caption like there's a lot of allusions to palm trees very unlikely i think that her album title or name is The Side of Paradise, one, because it's the title of one of Haley Kiyoko's EPs, and they're friends now, and I still think they're going to collab in the uh, near future. Um, did you guys know people call Haley Kiyoko lesbian Jesus? <laughs> I kind of liked it. I, uh, you know, I also think that her and Becca Tilly have a special friendship that I'm waiting to hear more details on. They, Becca like travels with her and stuff and is like always pretending that she's, they're not in each other's company, which I just think is very um, interesting. But anyway, uh, so not only did one of her friends have an EP called that, but also this side of paradise is based off of a poem called 
I don't want to botch it. Um, it's a poem called Tiare Tahiti. I don't. It's. I don't know what the Polynesian inflection would be on that, but the. I think the epigraph from Fitzgerald's *The Side of Paradise* alludes to this poem that is um, by Rupert Brooke, a member of the Lost Generation, who shares a lot of traits with Fitzgerald's characters. But the poem itself that Fitzgerald quotes in *The Side of Paradise* is called, and I'm probably botching this. I don't know the Polynesian inflection, but it's *Tiare Tahiti*, and it's basically a a poem about post-war disillusionment where you kind of have you spend your youth so wrapped in the, the, the what they call the kiss and call of youth and only to have lips human laughter and faces fade into monotony and it ends with this quote there's little comfort in the wise kind of this realization as you enter the dark side of paradise that there's no wise men and it's it's kind of this theme of like romantic poets and philosophers like one might rely on on their youth to have this incredibly, for lack of a better term, romanticized outlook on the world, only to feel, like I said, disillusioned with the actual outcome, disappointed in something you discover to be less great than you had once thought. Some might say disenchanted. Maybe it's called, I was disenchanted to meet you. Who really knows? I don't know. Again, I'm just telling you what that the root poem is about, because I think the F. Scott Fitzgerald thing is too obvious, but the other tie to that, to F. Scott Fitzgerald, is obviously he wrote The Great Gatsby and the second to last song on Reputation called uh, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. She says feeling so Gatsby for that whole year. Now, part of me wonders sometimes if there's any linear aspect to Reputation and perhaps the person she was even singing about previously was one of the people that betrayed her trust and this is why you can't have nice things and you can't come to my parties anymore. And in the second essay for LUS, she did write that she had to learn the difference between uh, friendships and situationships and how everybody, you know, wanted to be your friend. And I'll get into that later. And, you know, she realized that people serve certain functions at certain places, certain times of your life, but then ultimately, you know, you can hold on to the memories, but you don't have to be friends forever. I feel like, again, since a lot of times she is very um, intentional in what she's saying, that all of these sound bites, like they're talking about something, they're alluding to someone, or they're wanting us to think they allude to something and make assumptions and even talk about her more, which of course I'm here, I'm willing to do. But anyway, um, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. I'm going to try to stay organized article by article, but I'm also going to do this fast, I swear. So. She says she's highly biased that music can transport her back to a long forgotten memory and it's the closest sensation we have to traveling in time. I do like the idea of like a time travel vibe. Um, she talks about Cowboy Take Me Away by the Dixie Chicks, obviously. I, that, is that off of Wide Open Spaces? I think that album is very important to those of us. Mm, I'm, I'm going to venture to guess Born 1983 to... 92. I think it could span that far of an eight, eight year gap. Nine years, sorry. Um, she talks about Panic at the Disco when she was driving with Abigail. The Fray, Anna Nalik, songs from Grey's Anatomy, obviously. You know what's funny is I like had this exact like monologue in one of my podcasts talking about great music moments from TV and how I'm like transported back and how I really don't like medical shows. But 
I, I'm like on a gurney when I hear Anna and Alex breathe 2 a.m. Um, or like Sia's uh, Breathe Me from, uh, what is it? Six Feet Under? Anyway, Power and Thrill. She talks about Alanis Morissette, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? The, there's, she just goes through specific song examples. She says she loves preserving memories, like putting a picture frame around a feeling you once had. She requoted this on Instagram. Taylor Nation recorded this on Instagram. Joe and her had a, what I think to be a very staged paparazzi walk where he was holding a vintage film camera on, in Franklin Canyon in Santa Monica, which, no offense to L.A., I, I, you know, I, I, I've been to the Griffith Observatory. I, I've made my rounds in Runyon. Is it nice to, you know, expel some energy to hike uphill to, you know, look out into the smoggy distance? Sure. Is it is it picture worthy in broad daylight? I'm not totally sure. I, uh, I I'm suspicious of that paparazzi walk for several reasons. One, I've I'm such a broken record, but like she literally hid for two years. And she definitely didn't stay physically inside for all two of those years. Um, she has enough security, enough clout, enough ability to navigate the world without being seen if she doesn't want to be. I'm sure there are exceptions. And I, have, I a million, million, million percent agree that there's a lot of invasiveness as it relates to paparazzi. I would be terrified if I was ever being followed by them, especially if I had a child with me. I think that there's a lot of disgusting leechiness as it relates to making money off photos. Um, but I also think that those people tend to like hang out at Craig's. They're like at Ketch. They're uh, Nobu Malibu. They're like parked outside of the gates of the Soho house. Like there's hot spots and then there's like canyons where it's a literal waste of time and money for a paparazzo who needs to uh, monetize his photos to like chill in a canyon and hope that an A-lister shows up. Like, you know, you, you park outside of Runyon, maybe you'll get a Harry Hamlin sighting, you know, not worth that much money. A Taylor Swift sighting is big bucks, and her moves, I'd gather, are pretty unpredictable, and I just feel like the paparazzi sightings are strategic. And even though I feel it in my gut, it also upsets me because there's the, the paradox of, well, I take comfort in knowing, you know, that sometimes these things have to be done to generate buzz for the media it's not just her everybody does it you need to keep yourself in, in the mouth of the general public but on the flip side when she goes on tumblr and likes posts about privacy invasion about being scared about like if someone's running away it means they're uncomfortable stop taking photos when she's liking those posts it's suggesting that her privacy is being invaded is it really? I, I really do not know. Uh, on the one hand, it was a little, usually she's, she dresses in a way that's like pretty on point when she's being photographed. This was like so casual, um, but she was wearing sunglasses and a hat, but like she's so recognizable, bless her heart. Like you, she, like you would know it was her. Um, but like her security was nowhere in sight. She's the one that has said she hasn't been alone in 10 years. Like she, she has security with her at all times. And they make it seem like Joe is asking her to run into, like, a bunch of, like, sh light shrubbery, which, you know, for somebody whose arms and legs probably have, are insured and have a, you know, decent cash value, I wouldn't want to risk the scratches. Even a light thorn brush and, you know, 
you're dealing with several days in, of Neosporin application and a potential small scar. I don't think she, I think the shrubber risk was insane. I also don't, I don't know, again, they look unhappy. There's videos of them not holding hands. When the photos are there, they hold, they hold hands. And they appear to try to be like running and hiding and turning around and running into a bush. But so, and then like one website said they were like running and uncomfortable, but then the Daily Mail was like, they decided to take a shortcut. And it's like, well, which one is it? I, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone actually ever said that for, like, we don't have video footage of them like seeing the cameras and then running away. Um, so I'm not totally sure how that works. Also, there's so much, um, there's a lot of evidence out there of, articles, posts, things being taken down that her camp doesn't want up. Like, I think they have a lot of power as it relates to what's communicated about her. I guess technically they might not have when the whole snake era happened, but I don't know. I just feel like something about them didn't feel that invasive. Something about them felt a bit contrived. And when I relate it back to this time last year when the delicate single dropped, they were also pictured hiking like almost a year to the day in Malibu. Delicate was about to drop. The video was about to premiere on Sunday, and Joe is hiking in dark jeans and Nikes. Like dark jeans and Nikes. Look at you. It, 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 it like it, it's so so silly, so silly. Um, but is it is it manipulative if it's all in the name of the treasure map? If it's all in the name of the hint dropping? Like I said, we know so little about her life. These photos are kind of our insight and. In not doing more press and media and appearances, she almost makes herself a little bit more of a target for paparazzi in a sense because we're dying to know what she's up to. So do I think it's right to invade privacy? Of course not. But just based on precedence, I am going to say that they were indeed called and she is indeed painting one of these, you know, scenes she talks about in this article where you can like feel and see and hear and smell and understand exactly what she was going through at the time because we're like oh my god can you imagine hiking in the woods and you think it's romantic and then you have to run through the shrubberies and get a light thorn brush like and then we're going to get a song about like you know it's it's kind of along the lines of I know places it's probably kind of along the lines of out of the woods but then it's like oh I thought a new place is in the woods but now we can't get out of those either I don't know guys I, I'm worried that this album's not going to be what I want it to be, and I'm worried it's going to be like more songs people are going to say are about Joe when I just, I just am, I'm so confused about their relationship or lack thereof or like what it is because I feel like she's she's like operating in two opposite ends of the spectrum, like the hyper feminist pro LGBTQ, like never talking about Joe, never really making anything about him publicly, and. I kind of see the side of her that's like rising above what is a very convenient PR relationship. And she's like kind of trying to hint at some people that like, this is what's coming. But then I, you know, she goes to Oscar parties, Golden Globe parties, hand in hand, goes hiking with him. I kind of feel like is calling the paparazzi. I know she called the paparazzi on like several of their um, rendezvous back last year because I used to be able to download Daily Mail's photos and I would look at their metadata. And I could see the timestamps on the actual photo. And I could also see that embedded in the photos were the um, suggested, suggested captions from how they were being sold from a, a conglomerate, like a back grid, meaning this, what they once said is, is controlled. Some, somebody is typing a script, and then I would look at E! News and Daily Mail 
and page six and like, you know, refinery 29 and pop sugar. And they would all say some variation paraphrased of the caption that was embedded in the metadata. I was always posting it on Instagram. And I'm not saying that I'm the reason Daily Mail started erasing their metadata, but I am saying that I think I might be the reason because um, specifically after Taylor and Joe ate at this restaurant in London um, and like in the metadata, there was like oh, talking about the menu and what it was like and the steakhouse ambiance and that they were in a cozy romantic corner and like they ordered the mashed potatoes. It was so, so specific, but like every site reported that exact same thing. And then a fan posted from inside the restaurant that they were at a, they were eating with two other people at not like in the broad open space, like not even a banquet, not in a back corner, not in a private room. And it's kind of like, well, what? Why would somebody say that who was actually there unless they were like, this is what we wanted to say. So anyway, I'll stop going off. But uh, it, like uh, an example would be like, we didn't know Taylor uh, was in, was it last year when she was in Big Sur and that guy saw her, uh, the falconry, and he posted it, like she let him take a photo with him. He posted it um, and was like super careful with the whole thing and just like could not speak more nicely about her. But then he also wouldn't say who was with her. And then somebody DM'd him and said, was Carly Kloss there? And he said, I don't know who Carly Kloss is, but then he had just recently followed her. You know, that was really exciting for the fandom. <laughs> I think people forget about that tidbit. But um, anyway, it's like, yeah, in theory, like she goes places that we don't know about unless a fan sees her and takes a photo or whatever. And like, theoretically, anywhere she goes, people should, could be tipping off the paparazzi. But like, I don't even know how to do that. Does a normal person know how to tip off the paparazzi? Like, what's in it for me? Are they going to Venmo me a few bucks? Like, no, I, I, in, I maybe L.A. operates in a different world, but I just think it's important to remember she hangs out with her parents. She hangs out with Abigail. She hangs out with her model friends. She lives life outside of her home, and we never, ever see her. We only see her with Joe, who had four movies come out last year and is starting his career very conveniently. Let's not forget, he lives with his parents, or he did until like, up until Taylor met him. It is the third white male uh, British guy she has dated. I, I, something is like, something about that is like a safe space. No, fourth of her like alleged boyfriends, I said in quotes, because I don't know who she was actually dating. Harry Styles, Calvin Harris, Tom Hiddleston, Joe Alwyn. Obviously, Calvin Harris, he's from Scotland, so he's from the United Kingdom. He's not British. Um, but I get a little confused with the square rectangle of it all. Once like, you know, Great Britain, UK, yeah, whatever. Am I, am I just a geographical moron? I was more of a speller in terms of bees in elementary school than a uh, geography bee candidate. But anywho, it just seems like, yeah, what, what, it's, in, it's just very interesting. Um, uh, the patterns among her boyfriends and the convenience of them being in a place where they are wanting to promote something. I don't think Tom became James Bond because of it, but he was in Thor at the time. And I don't know. We were kind of uh, talking about him in like a very favorable way. Like he was a new sexy up and coming guy. But then I kind of think that Taylor, I heart TS, like cheese ball whirlwind tour of it all kind of ended up being a bit of a bruise on his career. And then, of course, Calvin tweeted, you know, I grew a big old beard last year in hopes of winning a Grammy. But that big old beard did nothing for me. You know, he didn't have facial hair. So what was he talking about? And, um, you know, Harry Styles was in the hottest boy band at the time. Like, you know, they, they, they that, that whole thing was like the, with the boat and the, them in Central Park and the fox sweater and her wearing the paper airplane necklace. Like, it, that was just like one 
artificial breadcrumb after the other. It, it was an Udi's gluten-free breadcrumb that you like. You don't really want, and it's kind of fake, but we'll pick it up anyway because we're hungry. Like, it, I didn't feel like the red era of her relationships was like. I don't know, something about it was a little bit strange to me, too. I guess the bottom line is, guys, I'm just so skeptical of all of this. And I don't know if, I've, if I'm just way too deep in, in poking holes. I don't know if I just can't accept things for what they are. I just feel like I, I can't let go of, like, the clear roles each of her relationships served. Their, her relationship to the people afterward, how they've all fed into these narratives for songs that have made the songs more popular and helped them sell better but they also always have like a dual potential meaning so they could not be about the person and she has the argument of i've never confirmed it's about anybody and it just as a way so we'll stop like we'll get out of her hair about like who she's dating it's like another reason people might be willing to leave her alone because we're not like oh who's she with like you know speculating i guess because honestly maybe she knew nobody was really that interested in joe he's very skinny which you know whatever i know some people can't help that but he did look better in last year's hike when i was looking at the photos and he has no personality in interviews he's borderline insufferable he's already very like annoyed at interview questions he will not talk about her he gets so awkward when she's brought up and to a point i'm like dude you're a new actor you were in huge movies this year like critically acclaimed big movies with big stars you, you're, you've got a real chance here. Charm us. My God, you've got everything working in your favor. It's, it's harder for you to be unlikable for me than it is unlikable. Like, I, want, I wanted to like you. But, like, listening to him talk, it's just, I don't know. There's an air of being, like, way too cool for the press circuit all around and an air of, please respect my privacy. I'm an actor. And I'm just like, ugh, like, stop. If you want... It, you you can't be committed to your to your craft until you're like Helen Mirren status. I mean, you you need to put in a couple of years till you're like good enough to be better than press because your movie studio and your director and everybody that put a lot of work into this movie indeed runs like a business and you have to market a business and that is your job as an actor. If you don't want to be a famous actor, be in indie films, be, be in commercials for all I care. Like just like act on stuff being the no okay better example if you want to just be an actor for the art of it not for the money fame celebrity be in theater like be an off-broadway or a regular theater actor and just like live your life in a normal salary if that's what you care about clearly he cares about being a celebrity clearly he's dating the biggest star in the world clearly it seems like it was a bit of a convenient setup maybe it turned into a real relationship maybe it didn't maybe they're good pals i don't know but i just don't think his attitude has been great thus far in the uh, promotional tour of his movies. And I think that he isn't cute or coy at all about Taylor. He is just straight up blubbering and awkward. Oh my God, we're 30 minutes in. I said I was going to be quick and I don't have time to edit this and I'm just going to have to post it. So I'm sorry for the rambling. We're still on SA1. <laughs> but okay, so basically she says again i want to remember the color of the sweater the temperature of the air the creak of the floorboards the time on the clock when your heart was stolen or shattered or healed or claimed forever this is another thing she used in the caption of one of her instagram photos i'm the only thing that concerns me is that she says the time on the clock when your heart was stolen or shattered or healed or claimed forever she's using the unspecified you she is she says i want to remember 
the sweater, the air, the floorboards. And then she says the time on the clock when your heart was stolen or shattered or healed or claimed forever. It's an interesting uh, narrator switch from I to you. So I'm like, was your heart claimed forever? I was so worried about the, you know, engagement aspect. But then, you know, I could just, I, I mean, definitely reading in, uh, way too into all of this. And then this is what I was talking, did, I don't know if I was talking about this earlier, but um, this is what I think is interesting. She says the fun challenge of writing a pop song is squeezing those evocative details into the catchiest melodic cadence you can possibly think of. I thrive on the challenge of sprinkling personal mementos and shreds of reality into a genre of music that is universally known for, well, being universal. She says three times some sort of synonym of like a tiny thing I squeeze into this song, like basically to, I, I feel like what she's saying here is I'm putting a tiny morsel, an ingredient of a real experience and baking it into a cake of a song that everybody can digest, though it's not a direct recipe of my entire life. It's, it's an aspect of it, but there's a lot more baked into it that makes it universal and that so i get that from that paragraph and then she says you think as pop writers we're supposed to be writing songs that everyone can sing along to so you'd assume they'd have to be pretty lyrically generic and yet the ones i think cut through the most are actually the most detailed and i don't mean in a shakespearean sonnet type of way although i love shakespeare as much as the next girl obviously see love story so yeah i mean i actually don't agree with that as pop writers, we're supposed to be writing songs that everyone can sing along to, so they'd have to be generic. No, I don't agree with that. Do you remember when I was talking about how the, the um, poor rhyming, well, not poor rhyming, the way the chain smokers rhyme irritates me as, uh, now I can say, a published poet, because they um, rhyme proper nouns. Now, in the world of poetry, proper nouns... It's not that they're off limits. I'm not going to call them cheap. I'm just going to say that, you know, rhyming Tucson with Blink-182 song is not exactly what, you know, Keats had in mind, I don't think, as it related to the modern era of poetry. But I, I, it bothers me because I think it's like there's a, a myriad of, of, of proper nouns that could sound like anything because many proper nouns aren't actually words. They're like names of things. So it's a much easier reservoir to tap into for a rhyme than actually constructing it out of, you know, standard words from the English language, improper nouns, if you will. But obviously, it don't have to be nouns to rhyme, but whatever. Um, so I, but I was reading an article about how the chain smokers deliberately write their songs in this oversimplified storytelling manner because it makes them more memorable, more catchy, da da da. There's like a whole psychological thing behind it. And this is kind of what she's getting at. She says, in modern pop songs, bops, including, pers including extremely personal details like Kiki, Do You Love Me, and Baby, Baby Pull Me Closer in the Backseat of Your Rover, have been breaking through on the most global cultural level. This year on tour, I got to hear stadium crowds passionately sing along to a young woman from Cuba singing about Havana, which is funny because my <laughs> issue with Havana is that she rhymes up with Atlanta. It, like, it just seems, it, it sounds goofy to me, but she's right. It's catchy as hell. Who cares about my pretentious opinion? We're trying to sell records here. The call out of Kiki, Do You Love Me? Very funny. One, my nephews call me Kiki and, you know, kind of my song. But also the reference to Kiki, Do You Love Me? is what was rumored to be that Drake slept with Kim Kardashian and the, you know, kind of root cause of Kanye and Drake's beef 
in recent months where Kim like swears up and down that never happened, but a lot of people are suspicious. They live right down the street. There was some various supporting evidence. I don't really know. I've lost a lot of interest in uh, Kardashian drama. Um, but baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your rover. Like, I don't, that's an interesting call out because I wouldn't say that that's the, um, like, most memorable lyric from that song. Uh, I, I think I'm more of a mattress that you stole from your roommate back in Boulder. We ain't never getting older. Boulder, older. Ugh. Anyway, um, I kind of like the song Paris, though. It has a deeper but metaphorical meaning once I read about it. I mean, the Chainsmokers are catchy as hell. Don't get me wrong. In this era of pop music, that's boring me to tears. That I've never seen a more fragmented top 40 among artists featuring other artists featuring other artists singing songs that like aren't even really hits but there's like nothing else going on so they like creep into the top 10 and just kind of like loom below shallow seven rings and i don't know whatever the hell else has been popular lately i just seven rings i I do think was what people are gonna kill me who actually think care about music but i do think seven rings was somewhat of a gift to the pop music world honestly for like two years i've just been listening to like musicals hamilton the greatest showman 90s alternative rock and i'm gonna say 2007 to 2013 top 40 is a great era it's it's the tayo Cruz of it all guys it's just it was a strong era for katy perry for taylor swift that's when we had starships by Nicki minaj and not whatever the hell is going on right now with Nicki minaj it it, it was a strong era of a lot of uh female starlets uh, boy bands some catchy rock and it's still nostalgic all the while because Jason Derulo was really in his prime. We even had Jordan Sparks cranking out hits like No Air. It wasn't that when we were introduced to Bruno Mars. I mean, thank God for Bruno Mars. He's still around. But like the Rihanna was really in her prime then. We still had Usher doing things like DJ's Got Us Fallen in Love, OMG, Flowrider, Club Can't Handle Me. Like uh, like Pink had great songs and she's still good now but I don't know the, whenever I think about when I like for, when I was th- toward the end of my collegiate years in my first years in New York and in Chicago and like being on birthday party trolleys and stuff I'm like oh my god bottoms up by Trey songs like I just think there was so like I don't know what else was there I mean I guess well Justin Bieber what 2016 was like I mean perfection uh, the um love yourself sorry era like god he was so he had oh my god that that was those that, that music was actually good like it was respected by people that weren't just you know into kind of the heartthrob style of justin bieber but like is well produced solid music he's a good voice he can dance and now like what the hell is he doing um i don't i i, I don't know if Haley baldwin can save him guys i just really don't think she has it in her She's very, very young and appears to be pretty religious, which is fine. But I fear based on what, you know, I've heard her dad talk about. It's almost in a little bit of a naive, uh, sheltered way. She is, I believe, is from what, is this true or not? I don't know where I read this. Allegedly, she saved herself for marriage, which is a reason people get married fast and young. And, you know, people change a lot in their 20s. A lot. Which brings me to Taylor Swift's second article, 30 Things I Learned Before Turning 30, which is very oddly timed given that she turns 30 December 13th, and it is currently early March. 
why else would she be doing this unless she was about to drop something? When I heard the title of The 30 Things Before 30, I feared we were looking at a Greatest Hits album. I feared because of this first uh, essay in L, which I guess it can wrap up, is she was talking a lot about memories and feelings and books and imagery and feeling like you're in the room and in the scene and in talking about how she incorporates nostalgia into songs. I was concerned that it was looking like she was just kind of going to have us time travel and bring us back to those most sensory songs that take her back to these certain moments in times where she wanted to put a picture frame around a feeling. And then upon the reflective essay, I was like, oh, no, is this where we're headed? But now I'm just really not sure. I'm really, really, I, I don't think that that would be the case because they, those songs are owned by Big Machine. Let's remember she did switch labels. I think I said Universal last week. I meant Republic Records. Um, she also said that uh, in the first article, I think these days people are reaching out for connection and comfort in the music they listen to. We like being confided in and hearing someone say, this is what I went through. As proof to us, we can get through our own struggles. We actually do not want our pop music to be generic. I think a lot of music lovers want some biographical glimpse. That's another one of those worlds where it's glimpse into the world of the narrator. A hole in the emotional walls people put up around themselves to survive. Once again, I think she says, I think a lot of music lovers want some biographical glimpse into the world of our narrator. A hole in the emotional walls people put up around themselves to survive. So she's basically saying, I put up emotional walls around myself to survive. I poke a hole in it and allow music lovers to think there's some biographical glimpse into my world, the narrator, which is, again, saying that like it's conflicting to me. It's like I write all of these extremely specific non-generic songs because we don't want our pop music to be generic. However, they're not actually my life. Like, isn't that kind of what she's saying? They're a glimpse of my life that you apply to your life. This whole thing confuses me big time. And then she says, this glimpse into the artist's story invites us to connect it to our own. And in, in the best case scenario, allows us the ability to assign that song to our memories. It's this alliance between a song and our memories of the times it helped us heal or made us cry, dance, or escape that truly stands the test of time. Just like a great book. So now we're bringing it back to books. What, what are we doing here with books? Uh, this was like the first total 180 away from like paradise and palm trees and like, oh my God, is it Coachella? Flowers, forget-me-nots, posts with five holes in it or fence posts, fences with five holes in it. Um, So now we're just in a, in a true cornucopia of potential theme ideas. And I, I don't know. This line, the glimpse into the artist's story invites us to connect it to our own. And in the best case scenario, allows us the ability to assign that song to our memories. And it's an alliance between a song and our memories. I'm just kind of like, okay, you know, obviously New Year's Day, hold on to the memories. They will hold on to you. There's cats. And obviously there's a song called Memories. Why are we talking so much about memories, nostalgia, and being back in the moment and time traveling? Are we going back? And if so, why? And or kind of like you said in Reputation about how we don't really know that much about you. A lot of um, there's, you know, obviously different schools of thought with Reputation in terms of a lot of people, myself included, thinking that a majority of it has to do with a relationship that she feared the public would be fundamentally uncomfortable with that was with a best friend i don't want you like a best friend she was never best friends with joe let me just reiterate 
and um you know that she was it was a secret she was hoping dreaming dying to keep she loved this person in spite of deep fears that the world would divide them a secret moments in a crowded room they got no idea about me and you everyone thinks that they know us but they know nothing about all of the silence and patience pining and anticipation i know i requote re these things constantly that's not universal <laughs> like that that that's what's confusing here i do think her songs are very sensory and detailed al already i don't know why she's saying this about people wanting non-generic music because hers already isn't generic it's not like she's making a shift but when she's saying the glimpse invites you to connect it to you and it assigns it to your memories but that doesn't really it's not really my experience it's confusing to me because I, I don't know if she's saying don't look into into my lyrics too much because it's only I'm making them universal or if she's saying kind of like I don't want people to be hung up on things like pronouns you know what I mean it could be like I'm I'm writing an element of these to be more applicable to the majority of my audience, which I, 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 I don't know. I know I'm talking in circles here. I just am really genuinely confused by this article and what it means. And part of me was a little excited because I was like, oh, I feel like she's kind of saying, like, if you find out these songs aren't about who or what you thought they were about, don't let that detract from your memory or favorability or experience with the song because there's an alliance there uh, between the song and your memory with that song. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe, you know, we're going to learn something that kind of disconnects her as a person from the music. But again, I know nothing. Everything's confusing. Nothing makes sense. I am in a gold cage hostage to my failings yet again. Okay, second article, 30 things I learned before 30. I will breeze through this because actually the last article I wanted to read through because I, I, I just don't know what it's getting at. And I didn't feel like it was as eloquent as it was being painted. But then when she liked to status saying, like, maybe these things are a little bit, for lack of a better word, dumbed down. I was like, okay, it's intentional. That's not insulting to say. Um, she looks gorgeous beyond measure in both of these, by the way. Just, like, amazing. And here's the thing with the 30 things I turned before 30. One, the intro is very weird and poorly written. It doesn't make, according to my birth certificate, I turned 30 this year. Yeah, like what? Like why? Why say birth certificate? Um, it's weird because part of me still feels eighteen, and part of me still feels two eighty three. But the actual age I currently am is twenty nine. My first reaction is, oh no, I'm very tired of doing math. The, 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 to be a Taylor Swift fan is to have to consistently dabble in involuntary arithmetic, and you know it's something that is exhausting at a point, especially when none of it adds up to anything that makes any sense. But, of course, she says, part of me feels 283, a very strange specific number. Of course, the sum is 13. Of course, the day she says this is 283 days from her 30th birthday, which, if there is any world in which she concocted that to be released 283 days before her birthday, so it was an even sum of 13, like, I, like what? It's, 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 it's all too much. Sorry, taking a sip. Needed a water break. Very unusual to talk to yourself for this long. Your mouth gets very dry. I got a few rude emails when I first started being like, are you on something? Because a, I was editing out like breaths and pauses and it sped up my voice. And B, no, like if, if you're excited about a topic and you know a lot and it's like you can't wait to get the words out. And, and I mean, you, you talk fast and you talk frequently. And I don't know, I guess this is just how I talk. Um, but I thought that was a funny question. Do I drink wine sometimes? Absolutely. 
but I usually don't record at night. And, you know, fortunately for me, I do not need to drink wine during the day. Um, so I just am usually chilling with a Propel or some coffee. It is currently 2.30 in the afternoon. If you want me to set the scene, like Taylor Swift says I should, like a good book or song. So after saying she's 29 and we do the math, I've heard people say that your 30s are, quote unquote, the most fun. So I'll definitely keep you posted on my findings on that one I know. But until then, I thought I'd share some lessons I've learned before reaching 30, because it's 2019 and sharing is caring. What? <laughs> I, guys, you know I love Taylor. I think she's a genius. I think this really undermines her intelligence, her writing style, her normal cadence she writes in. It's like, what was that? It, 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 I don't know. It just re it reads weird. It's like, did she go to the Jojo Siwa school of prose? I can see her screaming that at me. But anyway, I actually love a lot of this article. I really do. I think that she, what she did was balance personal innocuous anecdotes to make us be like, oh my God, so cute, so relatable. She's so random. She's so funny. She's so quirky. Like, command strips like the cocktail she makes like using things like uh what you say is like the slang term major flex or something um she said she started to learn to make cocktails because of 2016 which hilarious because that was the taylor swift takedown party the snake era um i i was i i would have never made it through that without wine and I always wondered, like, how is she just so darn wholesome? Like, I think before 19, no, before the reputation, I think I maybe saw her once drinking a sangria. And then I remember seeing during the 1989 era on YouTube, like, some behind the scenes footage of when uh, cameras, like, it, when the, when, sorry, award shows weren't being live broadcasted. And it was kind of funny because, like, her and Calvin were like all over each other when the show was on, but then it would go to commercial. She'd get handed a red solo cup and then like turn her back to him. And like, so she was drinking the whole time and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I, I would assume it's way more fun. You know, I, I, a solo cup of wine does not a glass make. It's like a full three quarter bottle. And we've all made that mistake one too many times and Taylor included and in which may explain, you know, all the years of awkward Taylor Swift dancing memes that are a true gift to us all. But anyway, she balanced the innocuous personal anecdotes with the meaningful personal anecdotes. I, for one, was shook by her learning that her mom is still fighting cancer, that she had it, went into remission, and now she has it again, and that her father had it, which I didn't know. She's basically saying, like, now I worry about real problems. And, like, yeah, 100%. I mean, like, literally, like, my something happening to my parents is, like, my, like, I, I mean, I would, like, shut this whole operation down and move home. Like, I totally, I don't see it in any plan and how that wouldn't be incredibly consuming, not in a bad way, but in a way of just, like, nothing else matters, right? And that made me feel for her, like, not not that I already didn't, but I actually think about often how she told us several years ago, like, my mom wanted you to know she's dealing with cancer, we're handling it privately, we never knew what kind, we never knew how long, how severe, and then she never talked about it again. And I'm like, if I ever meet her, if I ever, like, see her mom at a concert, I'd like, like I, I hope she's okay. Like, I, it's, there's a part of me that whenever I talk about her, criticize her, whatever, I'm doing it because... I I feel, you know, her public persona is fairly removed from her 
personal character. And her public persona is very much a machine and it's very much something designed to generate revenue. And she's aware that it needs to be something that she's not because it's beyond her at this point. Her career isn't necessarily about her. It's about all of these different components that make Taylor Swift the musical icon with the, you know, billion dollar catalog of music. And her personal self kind of, you know, has to fly under the radar and do her own thing. And her as a person, like, I have never for a second doubted that she's not like the kindest, most generous, uh, intelligent, good friend, good daughter, level-headed person with very principled values, person who is really nerdy, who loves to read and to play her instruments and to talk to her cats and to doodle and journal and do crafts and cook and bake. I mean, like, I feel I actually think that there's a lot of authenticity to who we think she is as it relates to her like hobbies and interests and her her values as a person. I think a lot of the gaps are likely in that she's not as like wholesome, like, I think she probably has like an edgier sense of humor. I think she probably like drinks and parties more than we let on. I think that she probably like has a sharp tongue and can be mean and cannot be smiling is pretty moody. I mean, like, like a normal human being. I, I just I think that she's very good at being um, upbeat and sweet and gracious and kind to every single fan. And she just has like a really good head on her shoulders. Like, I don't know how she maintains it literally would have gone absolutely crazy deep end by now. If I were her, I do not have the strength for the scrutiny. I do not have the energy and the extroversion for the constant conversations with complete strangers who think they know me, but they don't. I don't have the capacity to know that every move I make, everybody in the world, clowns like me, are going to really like overthink and blow it out of proportion when maybe I'm just like trying to live life and post a few pics. Um, But anyway, all that to say, like, I've, I really do think that she is a great person. And I think that the reason I criticize a lot of her PR is because I think all the things done in, in the PR realm are in the name of her career and the name of Taylor Swift, the enterprise are why she is the biggest star in the world. Why, like, why, why do none of us care about Katy Perry right now? When she was like in her teenage dream heyday at one point, like I used to love her music and her, and now she's just like stuffing her mouth with chips on American Idol and saying weird stuff to underage uh, American Idol contestants. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I actually do love a pixie cut on a woman, but I'm just not a fan of hers. And it has nothing to do with like women need long hair or me being anti-feminist. Like, no, do what you want with your head, your hair, your life. I really don't care. Like Michelle Williams is the case of all cases for a, for a pro pixie cut vibe. I mean, hello, Halle Berry. But something about the Katy Perry haircut, I think, is synonymous with an era of where our interest level plummeted. And I can't put my finger on what. Was it the 72-hour live stream? I still found her charming in the, you know, you love who you love, John Mayer uh, rodeo bull riding era. I, but then when, what was this last album called? Witness? I didn't love the songs. I felt like Swish Swish was try hard. We obviously, you know, were graced with Backpack Kid doing flossing or whatever on SNL. But um, 
I, I don't know. She just started to irritate me. And it's like when her ears got lowered, my ears were closed for good. I can't even listen to a Dark Horse anymore. I can get down to E.T., but it's predatory, and I'm upset that I like it. There was also a misleading song put up on Genius.com that was called Uneasy, and it was like Max Martin and Shellback, which we know like they do all of Taylor's songs, so like not that revealing. And it was, it was Taylor Swift featuring Kanye West and Katy Perry. Like, yeah, right. I, after reading the article 30 Things Before 30, I realized she very much still holds it against Kim and is not over it. And that's fine. People are like, get over it, like victim. And I'm like, it's okay. Sometimes someone's a victim. Like you can't, you can't accuse somebody of having a victim like complex when they actually were a victim of very targeted, a very targeted takedown like that. I, I, there is no ounce. I, I loved every minute of it from a pop culture standpoint. Like it was a fascinating time where like snapchat met like the legal implications of recording somebody met with like we didn't know kanye west filmed every day of his life for like a documentary that's never going to come out paired with the the miscommunication and the wording of it all paired with power dynamics like i can totally see myself being a little intimidated by somebody who i wanted to like me and be like yeah sure call me a bitch i don't care but like i really didn't mean it i i that everything about that scenario is so fascinating to me and almost as fascinating as how many times i probably said like in that last segment when I'm trying to move quickly and think of examples as I go, I'm going to, um, I'm going to pause. I'm going to lip smack and I'm going to say like a lot. And I'm just sorry. I know it's a huge pet peeve of people, especially with, you know, millennials that we say like a lot and use a lot of qualifiers and whatever. And it is a bad habit, but it also is, it's, it's hard to talk to yourself for an hour. It's fun, but there are times when I need to, when I'm looking for words and I need to find another word or thing to do. And what, when I first started this podcast, I was posting them so late and it was taking so long because I was editing out all that stuff. And then I just decided, you know what, this is how I talk. And if my friends ears aren't bleeding when I'm talking or I don't know, I, I don't feel like I say it is I don't know. I, I'm hoping I don't say it a problematic amount. If I start to, please let me know. I'm very self-conscious about it because I don't want to seem like I'm poorly spoken. I care a lot about words. I care a lot about refining my skill set, sharpening the knife when it comes to learning to be more articulate as time goes on. And I just want to be mindful of not promoting poor, poor speech patterns, really. But anyway, I digress. What was I talking about? The Oh, the phone call. Yeah. I never really left Taylor's side. I, that, that was like one of the most exciting nights in pop culture history. But again, I'm an observer, even if I don't support the underlying cause. And in observing that situation, I didn't really ever leave Taylor. And I really didn't ever think she was a huge liar. I actually kind of really identified with her. The only, only, only time I was like, this is a bad, bad look was the effort and thought and script put into the album of the year Grammy speech where she won album of the year for 1989. It was a question on HQ last night. I did win. I did win a dollar 15. Those questions were way too easy. I think they underestimated the fandom. Um, but when she was like, when somebody tries to take credit for your fame and like the way she said fame was like, obviously the song was famous. And that was the one thing I really never thought served her. 
but lived for that super short Anna Wintour, Bob, the one pieced artfully, not tucked behind the ear, and that color-blocked orange and pink number that was pantsless in the front, which is a hard look to pull off, let me tell you. So aside from the revelation about uh, command tape, her learning how to make drinks, her um, parents' health issues, um, there's a few other things that are in there. One is, you know, she turned turned off comments because she has to black out the noise because her feelings do still get hurt. She says being sweet can get you in just as much trouble as not being sweet. And she has a very quotable quote saying, be like a snake, only bite some bite if someone steps on you, which I love. Um, talks about trying and failing and trying again, which I was saying on Instagram, like her, her like biggest fail of all time, like hashtag epic fail dude on a half pipe YouTube video style trying to like parkour. Her epic fail is my best case scenario. So it's just funny that she thinks like she fails. Um, most importantly, she said, I learned to stop hating every ounce of fat on my body. I worked hard to ret- retrain my brain that a little extra weight means curves, shinier hair, and more energy. Mm, don't know if I agree with the last two. Um, well, yeah, if you're hungry, you don't have energy. But shinier hair, I'm not sure I've experienced. But we all remember when I gained a, gained a cool eight pounds when I realized I was eating powdered donuts every day when I had that sublet back in May. I do believe that episode is called NCI Yas, if you want to hear about it. Um, but as, as a fluctuator, I don't know if I've noticed shinier hair, but anyway, when she says, I think a lot of us push the boundaries of dieting, but taking it too far can be really dangerous. Yes, it can. Uh, there is no quick fix. I work on accepting my body every day. And I was like, I thank you, Taylor. I'm so happy she said that because she has never really talked about weight before. I think on, I really think we all thought she was naturally super stick thin. She looks like a person that's naturally stick thin. She has small bones. But this leads me to believe she was best friends with a bunch of supermodels and was really, really mindful of her eating and perhaps dangerously dieting. And this is more her natural frame that she's now embracing and accepting. It's, of course, beautiful. And it's like there is not a flaw on this woman. I was saying on Instagram, too, that um, over New Year's, because my sister and I are party animals, um, we stayed in, my husband did a blind wine tasting for us, and we watched the Reputation World Tour. Then when that was over, we watched the 1989 World Tour. We, back to back, we almost couldn't watch 1989 because she looked so frail. It, it, it's weird because at the time I was used to how thin she was, but now I'm like, she looks so gangly and tiny. And to think that she was working so hard to be that thin now is so weird. The only time I remember her saying something about food was in her 73 Questions Vogue video when they said, like, what's your favorite food? And she said, if calories didn't count, chicken tenders. And I was like, yeah, me too, 100%. Like, no wonder we're kindred spirits. Um, But I just remember thinking, oh, that's the first time she brought up calories. But anyway, uh, I just think this is an important message for girls, for women, for anybody that thinks that a person they idolize this is like a gap in the things they worry about i think that it's so important to feel like other people can relate to body image struggles because legitimately a hundred percent of people have them even if they talk about them or not and that you can be the most famous most worshipped person in the world and still not be happy when you look in the mirror which is so 
sad and difficult, but it's the human experience and it's a thing we all deal with and it's a thing we all push through and it's something we accept. Like she said, there's no quick fix. And just like we can't, we shouldn't be beating up ourselves for not being perfect. We also shouldn't be beating ourselves up for having those feelings sometimes because I think you really do, like she said, have to retrain your brain and it does take an element of self-discipline and getting older and maturing and ridding yourself of the, the, from the chains of the comparison game to just get to a place where it's not that you don't care, but you care a whole lot less. I think that's one of the biggest life lessons I've learned is, is when I'm in a situation or having a feeling or behavior I'm unhappy with, if, it, if it's, sometimes it's very difficult, if not impossible, to change it. So you can obsess over changing the thing that's really hard to change, or you can just care a whole lot less about it and weight it a whole lot less against your priorities. And typically, that works for me. It's kind of like when you're in a job you hate. If you can't get out of it, get into it. If you can't get into it, just care a whole lot less about it and wait till you find the right thing. Because there's no worse feeling than being stuck, than being stagnant, than feeling like you can't breathe. And sometimes I think those feelings of anxiety are, are brought about by seeing in no way, shape, or form, can I get more into this? Can I care more about it? Can I find meaning in the situation I'm in? And I guess I mean this more so in like career situations, but I guess it could apply elsewhere. I don't know if this is bad advice if applied to a different situation, but I'm just thinking specifically of being in a job where I was like so frustrated with the leadership, so frustrated with how we did things. I'm such a person that is like, well, if you don't like it, change it. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Like, I, I hate status quo. I hate people that say it is what it is. I hate people that say this is the way we've always done it. Sorry, I do not hate the people. I hate the behavior. I need to get better at saying that. Um, and it, sometimes it makes me bulldoze uh, steamroll a bit. Um, and I just had to realize there was a lot that wasn't within my control. There was a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. There was, a lo- there was so much that legitimately couldn't be changed. And I needed to support myself and make a living and have a career. And I wasn't finding anything else at the moment that I just was like, I'm just going to choose every day, every hour, every time I get worked up to care a little bit less, to make it matter a little bit less, to focus on things that matter more, to do more things where I lose track of time, to bring more, to inject more joy in my life so the thing that is sapping me of joy seems less prominent. I don't know what I'm yapping about, um, but I guess that's how I feel about body image issues the older I've gotten. It's less about me being like, damn, like every time I look in the mirror and more just like, this is the hand I've been dealt. I'm cool with it. I'm going to accentuate what I can because I love makeup and beauty and clothes and all that stuff. And I don't think that that's got anything to do with, with me wanting to look good for men or for other people or whatever. Like, I just feel really great when I'm doing those things. It's somewhat of a hobby for me. I accentuate what I've got and I've accept what I accept what I don't. And I'm just like, I just don't really care that much. <laughs> like, it just, it, I guess it just affects my life a lot less. Like, I've said a million times, it's so weird to think back on a time when all you wanted, w- w- your biggest priority in life was to be hot. And now that's like the most offensive thing you could say to me relative to the other things I think I have and I've accomplished. Like, that's just so not an interesting compliment to me anymore. And 10 years ago, I would have, you know, in my head, be putting on a sash and tiara, like waving at everybody in the CVS parking lot. There she is, Miss America. I would have, uh, my, I would have just, that, that was so exciting back in the day. So it's, anyways, it's just funny. Uh, gosh, guys, long story short, I think it's so important to promote positive 
body image to women and girls everywhere, but more importantly, I think it's important to discuss the realities of accepting your body image and the perils of getting to a point where you can do so and how it's an evolution and not a quick fix. And I'm proud of her for talking about that. I know she knows that people have noticed that she did, her body changed since 1989, but I think she looks healthy and energetic and like a woman and she looked incredible during reputation. And I would hate if anybody is saying anything otherwise, but the reality of internet trolls is that I'm sure they are. And I don't know. I just, I think sometimes the danger lies in being like, love yourself, accept yourself. You are beautiful. Affirm every part of your body in the mirror. And it's like, okay. It, 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 the more daunting thing is thinking that like other people are able to do that and to look at themselves and like legitimately be obsessed with every fiber of their being. When I think it's far more relatable to be like, I struggle with this and I'm getting better, but you know, it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. When things appear like a sprint, that's when I start to feel discouraged and don't even try because I know I can't sprint. I'm very slow and I'm very, you know, I get winded very easily. So I'm very bad at long distances too. So in this metaphor, I really don't know where I stand. Um, moving on. She um, talks about uh, Jamila Jamil. It's her world. We're living in it. Uh, she's the uh, woman who acts in the good place, who has done a lot of um, press relevant to body image, to society's perception of women aging. Um, the impact of the Kardashians on our image and just kind of is a very uh, sound, bold, feminist voice in an era of Facetune trying to remind us all that we need to care a lot less about these artificial things and focus more on who we are and what we've got. Totally agree. But I also, you know, definitely participate in a lot of activities that actively work against aging, whether it be my skincare routine, some dye sport here and there. Um, but that's just kind of what makes me feel good. I think the bottom line is like, if you're ever doing something for somebody else, like take a step back and think about what you really care about. But if you're doing something to, that makes you feel better, go for it. In a very meta sense, if you think about like, well, do I have these messages in, in, instilled in me from a society that is anti-aging and da, 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 like, yeah, probably maybe, but you know, I, I can't always get that deep. But again, another important message, we don't need to, to defy gravity. I'm not going to try to look like Mama Elsa, you know, from Real Houses of Miami. I think that's a very alarming example of what happens when you resist age and overdo it and your new normal just becomes like mad puffy. Um, but I do like the point of the bizarre goal of everlasting youth that isn't even remotely required of men, because that's something that drives me nuts. It drives me nuts that their stock goes up with age. It drives me nuts that they don't have ovaries they have to worry about, and they don't have a window to bear children when they don't want them yet, but they think they will eventually, and then they'll be mad at themselves if they didn't have them in time. And like, that is just such a stressor that they will never understand, and that I try not to be bitter about, because I know, you know, it's not within their control, and I, it's not a good look, but Man, must be a nice. Um, then she talks about her biggest fear, which relates to this um, caption she just posted on Instagram that I missed while I was talking about it. And she was saying after the Manchester Arena bombing and the Vegas concert shooting, she was terrified of going on tour. And she did spent a ton of money and uh, resources to make sure her three million fans that came to her shows were safe. So appreciate that. Um, and I totally understand that. I, every time I go to a concert, I think about that 
I, I went to Virginia Tech, as I've talked about. I was there on April 16, 2007, when the worst mass school shooting of all time took place. This is a very deep and dark and difficult subject for me. Uh, and under that, I don't mean to gloss over now or minimize in any way. But uh, point being, uh, if you're a person that's ever been anywhere adjacent to that type of scenario, you literally can't leave your house without thinking about it constantly. Every movie theater, every lecture hall, every restaurant, every public place, every concert, like, just becomes like, a, where are the exits? How tight is the security? And especially, like, and I'm a member of the crowd. She is the one responsible for the event. And, like, I, I, I cannot imagine the fear that I would have, not only for myself, but for the people that spent their time and money to come and the importance of keeping them safe. And, like, I, I just... But yeah, I cannot imagine the Manchester thing was so, so terrifying. And um, so to loop it back to the Instagram caption, um, the she put a photo of the L, L uh, US cover and then the caption of we have to live bravely in order to feel truly alive. And that means not being ruled by our greatest fears. So in the article, it's in the context of not being afraid of the dangers of public places and her fans getting hurt and things like Manchester happening. I don't gather that that's the context in the Instagram caption. Part of me is like, is she, is she going to conquer her fears tomorrow? Is something happening? Are we like, I don't know. You, you know me. I'm just always hoping that she'll, you know, maybe be a little bit more transparent about her personal life, but you know, here's to hoping. I'm not going to go through all of this. Um, she talks about how she didn't want to, you know, she used to care about what other, who other people wanted her to date and couple goals and all of that, but that's not real. And she actually says, uh, I used to th care about what people thought was couple goals based on a picture I posted on Instagram. That stuff isn't real. She like says it isn't real. So are you and Calvin Harris on, Calvin Harris on the beach, you jumping on that water trampoline. Like, was that not real? Like, I, I don't know. That's the only relationship she ever posted photos of and, like, acknowledged. Whereas Joe, she has never done that. Um, and then I'm just worried I'm going to, like, she talks about cooking, her Ina Garten recipe, the command, command conspiracy 2K19. The reason I say command tape conspiracy is because there was a two-week period where literally every blogger with, like, millions of followers was being like, I'm getting a lot of questions about how I hang these random wreaths on my windows. I use command tape. And I was kind of like, are you getting a lot of questions about how you hang your Christmas decor? Like, I sure, I certainly wasn't interested or caring. I just assume you have enough money to, you know, what's it called? It's not stucco. This is how little I know about home repair. I'm a renter. Um, spackle, spackle. Uh, if I was Taylor Swift, I, I would be like hammering to my heart's content. I, I would not be looking for studs. I'd be like chip gains on demo day. I, I, you know, anytime, you know, some scandal happened, I'm sure, because I could just afford to be destructive. But clearly she is neat as a pin. Wouldn't expect anything less. Um, apologizing when you hurt someone. Oh, and in the case of sexual assault, I believe the victim, 100%. Uh, love that she said that. Obviously, she was a badass in her testimony against the guy who groped her in 2013. I said it before, but again, if you haven't read that testimony, it's really interesting. The language she chooses, actually, Lainey Gossip has a really interesting podcast episode. They have a podcast called Show Us Your Work. They do really good uh, Megan and Harry analyses and also analyze Taylor Swift's court case. 
and really helped me understand how her responses seemed like harsh and for lack of a better word callous like normally you'd be kind of like groveling and sweet and trying to like impress the like women will try to seem like really meek and try to impress people and be like oh she's a nice girl but it's like why the hell why the hell does the woman need to act like put on an act for them to believe she's innocent like she's the victim here like there's there's no reason we should be nice and try to act like we brought upon the assault on ourselves like absolutely not it's it's so interesting um she talks about vitamins <laughs> i actually do take all the things she takes actually uh i love l-teening but i take it at night because it makes me woozy i take magnesium um it's, it, it is my hangover cure when i get home if i've accidentally had a solo cup of wine i take two ibuprofen because it doesn't hurt your liver like acetaminophen does and i take magnesium and i always wake up feeling way better um before you jump head first, maybe, I don't know, get to know someone hilarious. Clearly, she's done that before. Uh, skincare, childhood scars. Okay, this is the last thing that I think I thought was like super poignant besides her losing her curls, RIP. Um, I already talked about situationships. Oh, she called out that fashion's all about experimentation. See Bleachella. I did not hate Bleachella. This was right before she hosted the Met Gala. Ugh, your buzz cut my hair bleached. Um, it was like a Luke that Anna Wintour, I think, was. Uh, pushing on her for that like weird ex machina theme i don't know what it actually was but it's something with like technology and like steampunks or i don't know um friends and family don't care if i'm canceled serious illness i talked about what are you gonna write about if you ever get happy i'm wondering if that means this album's gonna get happy oh she said i make countdowns for things i'm excited about like would have been nice to know this last week so now i'm like yeah you were counting down to these covers there's there's so many things there with the number of tags and the way she was contorting her body. And I mean, they were countdowns. I stand by that. Um, learning to laugh at herself, finding her voice in politics. She says, we've got a big race to run next year. I don't think she'll get involved in the primaries. That would murky the waters. I think she's going to get behind a nominee, but then that will be her involvement. I don't think she's going to be like involved wing to wing. It would, it would probably be a little bit zero to 60 for her from never speaking about politics in 10 years to like being all up in it. Um, and also she does have so much influence. I think she needs to kind of play a long game. Um, I learned that your hair can completely change texture. My mom always taught me when I was a little kid, I, she would never punish me for misbehaving because I would punish myself even worse. This sounds like my sister. (laughs) She's like, so fundamentally like a good moral ethical person that like she will like bump into somebody on the subway and you know mull over it for hours <laughs> i'm just kidding kelly she's like such the nicest person ever um and clearly taylor swift has that same issue of being of worrying she did something wrong of over punishing herself and she said i've come to a realization that i need to be able to forgive myself for making the wrong choice trusting the wrong person or figuratively falling on my face in front of everyone step into the daylight and let it go <sighs> goosebumps what's coming daylight let it go probably not is it something with paradise? Is it something with books? Is it something with palm trees? Is it something with Coachella? Is it something with it being brand new? Is it something with the old Taylor's dead? What's the new Taylor now? Is it something with springs and flowers? Is it something with games? Is it pair of dice instead of paradise? Uh, there, there, there's theories aplenty. We don't know what's going to happen, and it's a real thrill. And like I've said before, it's not about being right. It's not about winning. It's about being a part of the chase of the thrill of the treasure hunt. And with each Udi's gluten-free decoy breadcrumb that is dropped that we gobble and spit out because it tastes like styrofoam, 
we're only more invested because it thickens the plot. Both life and Taylor Swift fandom are not about the destination. They are about the journey, which then becomes the destination, because then we dissect the destination to see if we were at all right about the journey, and then we absolutely never were. But it's okay. We come back more interested and stronger than ever the next season. It is no different than sports, guys. Just like you speculate and analyze, you know, recruits and team trades and stats and injuries and all that crap, that's all rooted in a game, which is fine. And I, I, I enjoy, no, I don't. What am I talking about? Um, I respect people that enjoy sports. My husband is the biggest football fan of all time. Uh, I'm just saying that no, it's no different than like us speculating and putting all these pieces together and thinking we've like got all got it all right and we know the outcome of the season but then like your team doesn't win and they don't go to the playoffs just like our album doesn't come out and our single doesn't get dropped like you can't trivialize our interests so please stop trying people are so hard against hard on taylor swift fans for like being wrong and for like you know jumping on the bandwagon and for listening to you know looking for hints that aren't there and all this stuff and i'm like a we're not looking for things that aren't there they are there we just don't know what they mean yet b it's just like fun it's like get off my jock you know like let me have fun life is serious otherwise and i welcome this distraction and i am grateful for taylor swift even though i do have to wave my white flag and i was technically wrong last week but uh, something's probably coming tomorrow i can't believe that these two freaking articles and the ending of stepping into the daylight and the uh caption about you know going up against her biggest fears and all of that guys like Clearly something's coming, <laughs> and I swear to God it is. I don't know in what format. I don't know what it's called, but I think it's going to be brave. I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. I think it's going to be a contrast to reputation, and I think we should welcome it with open minds, open hearts, open arms, whenever the date or time or sum of 13 presents itself. But anyway, I got to sign off. It's already Thursday late afternoon, and if I don't get this podcast out tonight, I don't know what I'll ever get listened to because. Who's honestly listening to, listening to all 90 minutes of this? I can't see when people like stop and turn it off. So for all I know, I, I, don't, I don't even know. I really should be more concise. Um, but I appreciate it if you're still here, especially because you know the outro song's not going to be a thrill. I also had like big plans for my 50th episode. I was going, ugh, maybe I'll do it next. <laughs> I always like want to do these like themey episodes and I'm like, I'm going to get to this. And I like write down notes and then I never get to it because there's some other pop culture news that takes pre- uh, priority. But like I tell any uh, consulting client I work with about their small business, I think, you know, you should always be uh, developing and refining your product against demand, not against your own agenda. My agenda would be to have sweeping deep conversations about life and love and relationships and careers and uh, I, I, I can be very intense sometimes and I think sometimes I use this microphone as my outlet but at the end of the day people want to talk about like Taylor Swift's album and you know we, we want to speculate about The Bachelor and I do too I really do too I think I just do so much of that in my regular life I almost feel redundant coming on here but I realize I haven't talked to all of you guys yet so Anyway, maybe I'll record something else. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll put it on Patreon. I got to stop promising things because I just never know how I'm going to feel. And uh, my recording hours are so limited to when I'm alone and when the dog's not being noisy and when my husband's not here and all that jazz. So anyway, 50 eps in, a year in, we're still a low budget operation and proud of it (laughs) because 
I'm still having a nice time. I hope you guys are too. This really is so much fun for me. It's the only part of my job that's not work. The talking isn't work. The, you know, the editing and uploading and all that stuff. That That's a little tough and I'm working, actively working on outsourcing it and uh, working on our attack plan for advertisers. I did find myself a Kris Jenner. I'm very excited. She is lovely. She's already helping me so much. And hopefully we'll be getting on some new advertisers soon because we were having some issues before with, you know, responsiveness and um, consistency. And it's a thing where if I have my podcast ready and you don't have your script ready, I don't want to, you know what I mean? It's like we, we both got to be on a schedule. So, yeah, that's kind of what's been going on. But uh, anyways, I'm excited for the future of the Be There in Five podcast. I hope you'll st- stick with us. I'm actually probably going to have on some guests soon, which will be fun. Um, I like to have conversations. I'm not a good interviewer, so it'll be fun to talk to people about different subjects, get some new perspectives. If you want to hear my sister and I's wild Saturday night where we talk about I don't even know what, go to patreon.com slash be there in five. I have three tiers. I have um, a, an active listener at a dollar, a BTI five fan at two ninety five a month and a BTI five super fan at $5 a month. And really that just is kind of a, co-signs that you like this podcast tells me to keep going it helps me to know that there's support and behind the paywall i reveal a lot of more private information or things that i don't feel totally comfortable putting on here you can also rate and review the be there in five podcast you can follow me at be there in five i also have a separate instagram called at the be at be there in five podcast where i don't care about feed flow and i just post weird ugly screenshots and also um i was there were so many questions and topic ideas and things that were scattered throughout my DMs and Facebook group that like, if you really have a question, if you want some advice, I'd love a Q&A Dear Abby style thing. Um, I already got some questions, but um, going to wait till I have a few more to do a full segment. And um, yeah, if you have something to say, feedback, whatever, email podcast at be there in five.com, F-I-V-E, not the number. Uh, and that's where I'm going to house the pressing things people want me to talk about or know or listen to. Like that's, if you want to directly reach me and have me read it, email podcast at be there in five.com. That's kind of like the only way I will see it because it's a non-clogged inbox. Um, and yeah, other than that, by Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, my book that's a nursery rhyme for the digital age. It's a satire on teaching kids if, uh, influencers we're a career we taught kids about and um it's cute and funny and i'm still working on making it do well so uh if you want to support that's another way and other than that thanks for being here i love you tons i'm dying that i don't have an outro song and uh, truly this hurts my heart and i'm gonna figure this out and i appreciate your patience in the interim and as always it's fun to party with my friends (laughs) (laughs) oh this song's so bad i love it so much As always, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear.
play. It's time to party, girl. Fun is what we crave. So throw your hands up, DJ, let it play. And we'll keep dancing till the end.